0: chapter nineteen of gold by stuart edward white this librivox recording is in the public domain sunday at hangman's gulch it was now about four o'clock the crowd dispersed slowly in different directions and to its different occupations and amusements we wandered about all eyes and ears as yet we had not many acquaintances and could not enter into the intimate bantering life of the old-timers there was enough to interest us however a good many were beginning to show the drink after a long period of hard labor even the most respectable of the miners would have at times strange reactions that is another tale however and on this sunday the drinking was productive only of considerable noise and boasting two old codgers, head to head were bragging laboriously on their prowess as cooks. A small but interesting group egged them on. Flapjacks, enunciated one laboriously. Flapjacks? Why, my friend, you don't know nothing about flapjacks. I'll grant you, he said, laying a hand on the other's arms. I'll grant you that maybe, maybe, mind you, you may know about mixin' flapjacks and even about cooking flapjacks. "'But what do you know about flipping flapjacks?' He removed his hand from the other's arm. "'Nothing,' said he. "'Now, I am an expert, a real expert. "'When I want to flip a flapjack, I just whirl her up through the chimney "'and catch her by holding the frying pan out of the window.' I found at another point a slender, beardless young chap with bright black eyes and hectic cheeks engaged in sketching one of the miners who posed before him his touch was swift and sure and his faculty at catching a likeness remarkable the sketch was completed and paid for in ten minutes and he was immediately besieged by offers from men who wanted pictures of themselves or their camps he told me between strokes of the pencil that he found this sort of thing more remunerative than mining for which he had come to the country as he could not stand the necessary hard work paper cost him two dollars and a half a sheet but that was about all his expense alongside the street a very red-faced bulbous nosed and ancient ruin with a patriarchal white beard was preparing to give phrenological readings i had seen him earlier in the day and had been amused at his impressive glib patter now however he had become foolishly drunk he mounted the same boxes that had served as the executive desk and invited custom after a moment's hesitation a burly red-faced miner shouldered his way through the group and sat down on the edge of the boxes in the earlier and sober part of the afternoon the phrenologist had skillfully steered his way by the safe stars of flattery now as he ran his hands uncertainly through the miner's thick hair, a look of mystification crept into his bleary eyes. He felt again more carefully. "'Most extraordinary,' he muttered. "'Friends,' he said. "'Still feeling at the man's head, "'this person has the most extraordinary bump of inquisitiveness. "'Never felt one like it, "'except on the cranium of a very celebrated thief-and-robber. "'His bump of benevolence is a regular hole bump of truthfulness don't somehow seem to be there at all bump of cowardness is as big as an egg this man friends said he dropping the victim's head and advancing impressively is a very dangerous character look out for him he's a liar and a thief and a coward and a why well, you old son of a gun howled the miner rising to his feet he seized the age phrenologist and flung him bodily straight through the sides of a large tent and immediately dove after him in pursuit there came from that tent a series of crashes howls of rage and joy the sounds of violent scuffling and then there burst out through the doorway the thoroughly sobered phrenologist his white beard streaming over one shoulder his pop eyes bulging out his bulbous nose quite purple pursued by the angry miner and a score of the overjoyed populace interrupted in their gambling. Everybody but the two principals was gasping with laughter. It looked as though the miner might do his victim serious injury, so I caught the pursuer around the shoulders and held him fast. He struggled violently, but was no match for my bulk, and I restrained him until he had cooled down somewhat and had ceased trying to bite and kick me then all at once he laughed and i released him of the phrenologist nothing remained but a thin cloud of dust hanging in the still air yank and i then thought of going back to camp and began to look around after johnny who had disappeared when mcnally rolled up inviting us to sup with him you don't want to go home yet he advised us evenings the time to have fun never mind your friend he's all right NOW YOU REALIZE THE DISADVANTAGE OF LIVING WAY OFF WHERE YOU DO. MY HANGOUT IS JUST DOWN THE STREET, LET'S HAVE A DRINK. WE ACCEPTED BOTH HIS INVITATIONS, THEN, AFTER THE SUPPER, PIPES ALIGHT, WE SAUNTERED DOWN THE STREET, A VAST leisure, EXPANDING OF OUR HORIZONS. AT THE STREET CORNER STOOD A TALL, POETIC-LOOKING MAN, WITH DREAMER'S EYES, A VIOLIN CLASPED UNDER HIS CHIN. He was looking straight past us all, out into the dusk of the piney mountains beyond, his soul in the music he was producing. They were simple melodies, full of sentiment, and he played as though he loved them. Within the sound of his bow, a dead silence reigned. Men stood with eyes cast down, their faces sobered, their eyes a dream. One burly, reckless, red-faced individual, who had been bullying it up and down the street, broke into a sob which he violently suppressed and then looked about fiercely as though challenging anyone to have heard the player finished tucked his violin and bow under his arm and turned away for a moment the crowd remained motionless then slowly dispersed this was john kelly a famous wandering minstrel of the camps a strange shy poetic man who never lacked for dust nor friends and who apparently sought for neither under the softening influence of the music the crowd led a better life for about ten minutes we entered the gambling rooms of which there were two and had a drink of what mcnally called forty-two caliber whiskey at the bar of each in one of them we found johnny rather flushed bucking a faro bank Yank suggested that he join us but he shook his head impatiently and we moved on in a tremendous tent made by joining three or four ordinary tents together a very lively fiddle and concertina were in full blast we entered and were pounced upon by a boisterous group of laughing men seized by the shoulders whirled about and examined from behind two gentlemen and a lady roared out one of them gentlemen on that side ladies on this select your partners for the waltz there was a great rushing to and fro in preparation. Men bowed to each other with burlesque dancing-school formality, offered arms, or accepted them with bear-like coyness. We stood for a moment rather bewildered, not knowing precisely what to do. "'You belong over that side,' McNally instructed us. "'I go over here. I'm a lady.' "'Why?' I asked. "'Ladies,' explained McNally, "'are those... Who have patches on the seats of their pants. As in most social gatherings, we saw that here, too, the fair sex were in the majority. Everybody danced very vigorously with a tremendous amount of stamping. It seemed a strenuous occupation after a week of hard work, and yet it was great fun. Yank pirouetted and balanced and sashayed and tomfooled in a manner wonderful to behold. We ended flush and uproarious, and all trooped to the bar, which, it seemed, was the real reason for the existence of this dance hall. The crowd was rough and good natured, full of high spirits, and inclined to practical jokes of a pretty stiff character. Of course, there was the inevitable bully, swaggering fiercely and truculently back and forth, his belt full of weapons. Nobody took him very seriously, but on the other hand, everybody seemed to take mighty good care not to run defiantly counter to him. In the course of his wanderings, he came to our end of the bar and jostled McNally aside. McNally was at that moment lighting his pipe, so that in one hand he held a burning match and in the other a glass of whiskey. Without the slightest hurry or excitement, his blue eyes twinkling as humorously as ever, mcnally dumped the whiskey over the bully's shock head with his left hand and touched the match to it with his right the alcohol sizzled up in a momentary blue flame without damage save for a very singed head of hair man on fire man on fire yelled mcnally put him out the miners rose to the occasion joyously and put him out in the most literal fashion so that no more was seen of that bully about ten o'clock we were getting tired, and probably the reaction from the forty-two caliber whiskey was making us drowsy. We hunted up Johnny, still at his faro game, but he positively and impatiently declined to accompany us. He said he was ahead or behind, I forget which. I noticed both conditions have the same effect of keeping a man from quitting. We therefore left him and wandered home through the soft night. Wherein were twinkling stars, gentle breezes, little voices, and the silhouettes of great trees, End of Chapter Nineteen.